Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 69. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and the inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Hayden Christensen's awfulness, the joy of mid-90s cute animal kid combo movies, and whether live-action Mulan is actually worth 30 bucks. No quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observations. So I'm watching The Kaminsky Method on Netflix. It's a fun show. It's two seasons, 25 minutes an episode. It's these old Hollywood guys complaining about being old. It's Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. I think Alan Arkin's like 86 and Michael Douglas is 75. Nothing groundbreaking, but it's super well-written and just charming and fun. You know, just a little slice of life kind of thing. So I looked up who the writer was, and it's this dude, Chuck Lorre. Now, I'm an entertainment-obsessed kind of guy, and I pride myself on knowing the the behind-the-camera stuff just as well as the stars on the screen. And I had zero clue who Chuck was. And I'm really kind of embarrassed by that fact now because I looked him up, and this guy has created everything over the past 40 years. He has created and wrote for Two and a Half Men, Big Bang Theory, Mike and Molly, Dharma and Greg, Grace Under Fire, Sybil, Roseanne, Fraggle Rock, and my favorite of all this, Muppet Babies. I think he was under Jim Henson originally. Like, my God, like, Chuck, you basically created and shaped the 30-minute sitcom genre for the past 30 years. Like, how have you been hiding in plain sight? I don't think I've ever had a discussion about him or anyone's brought up this name ever. And it's like, he's super important. And I'm sure if you're like an entertainment elitist, like I can often be, you kind of thumb your nose at the middle America, mindless, heartless, laugh track, heavy endeavors that he's done. But I got to admit, even though I hate the idea of some of these shows, they're always well-written, they're light, and they're super joyful to consume in 25-minute blocks. And also, they're super popular. Like, every show he has is, like, 10, 20 seasons, like, 200 episodes, 100 episodes. I think when you hit the 100-episode mark in TV, that's, like, when you pop champagne because the syndication money is just going to come in forever. He's done that a ton of times. Like, there's even the show I didn't mention called Mom which is with Anna Ferris, it has 230 episodes. So people are watching it. People like it. And I don't watch Two and a Half Men or The Big Bang Theory religiously, but when it comes on, like across my dial randomly, I'll stay on uh, and watch the whole thing if I get like 30 seconds or more in because it's just fun. And I mean, just props to him. So like hats off Chuck Torrey, a name the world needs to know, although he's worth $800 million. So clearly he's appreciated and well compensated by Hollywood, but now he has the Max Sanders seal of approval too. So he can add that to his list of accolades. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll check out a couple episodes of the Big Bang Theory or Dharma and Greg was really great and kind of revolutionary at the time. So, I mean, maybe you'll check that out and be like, huh, this dude needs some appreciation. So, you know, you spread, spread the word a little bit. So for some reason, my brain went from this, from this guy who's like the least recognizable Hollywood elite to the most known, you know, I wanted to know, I got my kind of what if this happened brain going, like my Professor X thinking mode, I call it, you know, I sit in a chair and I just contemplate these kind of what if scenarios. And I came up with a very realistic scenario that I want to discuss today. What if aliens landed on Earth tomorrow? Tomorrow, 
And these are not your typical space invaders who want resources and, you know, to start wars and take over the planet. You know, not Independence Day aliens. These are, you know, different kinds of aliens. They're generally like a peaceful bunch of interstellar chums. That's what I want to think of. I'm thinking they look like half like the cute pre-midnight gremlins uh, from Gremlins mixed with the Ewoks from Star Wars. Very appealing, like Care Bears from space, basically. But apparently in their culture, they determine the worth of a planet on one specific skill set. The ability to emotionally move them with our with our society's collective acting skills. So we get one shot to wow them, and if we bring them to spiritual catharsis through a performance, we can join their highly advanced alliance and be given access to all their like extensive collective knowledge. So that means you know, boom, uh, COVID nineteen is cured like that. Frozen yogurt, we can make it taste just like ice cream. Self driving cars that can transform into robots if we want. You know, we can have actual transformers. People, this is big stuff. Possibilities are endless. So I love that the three things I thought of. I mean, the COVID thing's, you know, a good thing, but like I'm like, I want frozen yogurt to taste like ice cream and self-driving cars that can be Optimus Prime. Like, I need to get more creative. Or <laughs> I'm definitely influenced by, you know, what I watch and what I eat, I guess. So I guess I need to think a little bit harder and a little more a bit more profound, be kind of here in the now a little bit more. And I'm getting spiritual and I don't want to get spiritual. I'm not really spiritual, but I like, I like talking spiritually. All right, and you get back to this. Possibilities are endless. So through their light years ahead technology, they can splice together DNA segments of any actors, living or dead, for us to create the perfect human actor to give the performance that will save the rest of humanity. They provide the script. I'm guessing it's going to be like a drama with a splash of action and comedy, so they see the entire spectrum of what can be performed. But generally, you know, the tour de force performances that really determine great acting are based in drama. So, and the rest of the actors, the sets are CGI screened in with, you know, their super hyper technology. Think like Wakanda times like a billion, you know, they got vibranium times a million. And they've done this many times before. This is not their first uh, go at it. So we have uh, to pick both the internal and external qualities of the super being of the theater to save billions of humans' lives. So, I mean, this is realistic. So are you ready? All right, let's start. So first we need a classic face for this Frankenstein's monster of acting. So I'm going to need mass appeal. I don't know what these aliens are into, so I'm gonna go with as universally handsome and watchable a face as I can get. So I need diamond cutting cheekbones. I need eyes that are deep pools that you can get lost in. I need a smile that can knock over skyscrapers, a nose chiseled out of Italian marble, something Michelangelo vibe. So I am going Brad Pitt and his glorious face. And I'm thinking late 90s, early 2000s Pitt, like around Fight Club, Ocean's Eleven, Meet Joe Black, Snatch, Spy Game kind of pit. Interesting enough, I think the most handsome pit is Meet Joe Black, even though it's a terrible movie. He plays Death, and it's just this really weird movie. But he's in a tuxedo, and he's talking to Anthony Hopkins in Mansions, and he's got this great like blonde hair and just really intense look to him. So I, that's weirdly the best looking of him, but in that general range, because he's in his early 30s, so he's got enough gravitas to pull off the older roles if needed, but enough youth, youthful exuberance to captivate if need be too. And yes, I stared at his face for a solid five minutes for this exercise, and it was a treat. If you wanna take a five minute break from reality, just look, search Brad Pitt's face and just stare at it, and it's just the face of God in human form. I'm just, I'm pleased with my first pick. I wonder if he just stares in the mirror for like an hour at a time sometimes. He just gets lost in his own eyes. Does that happen or is he like used to the fact that it's himself? I would still be like, my God, I am, I am stunning. I am God's gift. 
But next, okay, I'm going uh, acting range because I need this creation to be able to cover comedy, drama, all the joys, all the pitfalls, and that I need them to really emote so that these cute little aliens can relate to, you know, the performance. So I'm going to go with the screen range of Miss Meryl Streep. Because if they choose a period piece set in the past, bam, I'm covered. You know, she can do her little women kind of vibe. Evil chops are demanded, pow. I have, you know, the devil wears Prada skills in a bag. Weird off-brand Charlie Kaufman nonsense scripts, I got you, aliens. You know, I got you. She can do her uh, adaptation kind of vibe. So she's done it all. And she even did, like, comedy movies. She did, I think, Stuck on You. And she's actually really funny in that. So she can be, like, the Swiss Army Knife. And she can kind of, she can take whatever they throw at her and really tend to just give it an A performance. So definitely Meryl Streep. Feel good about that one. Next, I'm going hair. Yes, it's vapid and specific, but you need the details to be perfect. And this is the fate of the world. I don't want any stone left unturned. Plus, I'm balding, so I get more, I'm more attached to hair now of like actors and actresses. I'm like, man, that's a good head of lettuce. You know, I want, I want that. So this is my pick. I'm going late 80s Michael Douglas because he's got that lion's mane of kind of well-kept wavy flow that you know it hits at like the shoulders not too long that's crazy it's not the Jason Momoa I almost picked Jason Momoa but like those curls are meant for him and someone who's Samoan it looks like it's like I don't think I would his hair on other people's bodies might look strange so Michael Douglas is more universal so that flow kind of conveys equal parts independence and power it's wild enough that you think he's capable of anything, but refined enough for you to want to trust his decision-making, like you want to like him. And like I said, it's the best head of lettuce in acting. Even at 75 years old in the Kaminsky Method, his mane just looks great. And he's just got the salt and pepper accents now. So if they need to you know, CGI his hair into a dark, uh, salt and pepper role, if it's like an older guy, we can do that too. Love it. Love Michael Douglas. And for body, I'm going Idris Alba for a variety of reasons. First off, the dude is a lean, muscular six foot five. And that's a rarity for actors because most of them are like pocket-sized little munchkins. But believe it or not, Tom Cruise is four foot eleven, and Ethan Hawke actually is three foot two. It's like these are facts, people. Okay. Hollywood is tiny. And it, we get like the wrong idea because we see them on a screen that's 50 feet tall. But these are little, you know, little guys just scurrying around Hollywood. So I want my star to convey a physical presence so they can't take their eyes off him. And Idris has that, Idris has that uh, quality in spades. He kind of glides across the screen. He's almost has that Randy Moss kind of vibe to him where he's so elegant, you're tricked into not understanding his strength or speed. It's like when you see a deer, you know what I mean? It doesn't look like they're going that fast, but they are just flying. I think they're deer or some kind of elk or like the second fastest animal on the planet. But, you know, they're just hopping along elegantly. That's kind of the Idris Alba, Randy Moss vibe. And plus, he's been in a ton of action films like Fast and Furious and the Thor movies, The Dark Tower. And so he can perform high-level stunts if need be. And, you know, I just think having someone on screen that's really just kind of a big presence is important. The only other guy I think who's actually really tall is maybe Adam Driver or maybe uh, Vince Vaughn. But Vince Vaughn doesn't have a physicality to him. At least not now. He's kind of schleppy. Oh, I love that word, schleppy. I mean, it's like, it's, I think it's a Yiddish word. It just sounds like, it's an onomatopoeia. It sounds like that guy is, you know... Not in shape, but Adam Driver, maybe. But, you know, I think Idris has more of an elegance to him. And for emotional intensity, I want Shia LaBeouf. Because I need a wild card in the mix, some intangible quality that can't quite be measured. And he's my guy. Like, I want the screen to be set ablaze with his performance. And I need that weird, 
I could be your best friend or your worst enemy kind of energy from my actor. With Shia, I get it. I mean, you look at him being like in a heartwarming mo- mo- movie called Peanut Butter Falcon, where he's with, he's helping a kid with autism and retrieve his dreams. Or he's like a mercenary in a Hispanic gang and tax collector. He's got it all. And I almost went Nick Cage, but he's too unpredictable. I can't risk humanity on a guy who shouts at random volumes for no reason. Like, I won't do it. Like, our lives are on the line. Like, what if he just shouts out bees in the middle of it? Or just he just starts ranting about face-off halfway through. It's just not, I can't do it. I can't do it. So voice, very important. You know, this is kind of a, I mean, this is how the person emotes. This is the, how the person reads the dialogue. This is probably one of the most important things. And I'm going Matthew McConaughey. It's a risky move. Because he's really only got one pitch. It's that smooth Southern gentleman's drawl. But like, my God, it's like Mariana Rivera level pitch. And we only get one chance at this. His voice is just so assuring. It's just a weighted blanket of comfort and relaxed wisdom. Plus, he can start riffing about anything. And it sounds like poetry. So in case the role has some moments of improv, you know, we're covered. And speaking of improv, I'm going to need a sense of humor that has the audience kind of rolling in the aisles. And if you think about it, even the greatest dramas usually have an excellent comedic performance. So I need someone who can add laughs to the overall performance. It's important. You know, if you want the people to feel good, laughing definitely conveys a connection. And, you know, if they want to spare humanity, I would think they want to the connect that we can make them laugh. So for me, nothing is funnier than some physical comedy. It's universal. I'm sure these aliens can chuckle over a pratfall or a banana peel slip, just like the rest of us. So I'm going mid-90s Jim Carrey in his rubber face routine. Like, the man carried multiple com- multiple comedies far beyond where we thought slapstick could go. You look at, you know, Dumb and Dumber, Liar Liar, The Mask, both Ace Ventura's, Li- did I say Liar Liar? I mean, I love that one too. And uh, Me, Myself, and Irene. And there's also, there's this very verbal hilariousness to him too. And he could pull off clever punchlines and impressions with the best of them too. So kind of getting the full spectrum of hilarity with Jim Carrey. And now that I'm going to go minor additions since these these aliens can really splice anything in I want. So I'm going Robert De Niro for his humorless scowl, you know, when he's kind of like grunting and like just displeased with you. Anything pre-1996 will do. You know, you can do Raging Bull. You can do Goodfellas, Casino. Uh, I'd prefer Heat. I think his scowl and Heat is probably the best. You know what I mean? Just that tight little kind of, he just looks upset with you. And I just like it. And it's like he stares a hole through you. I'm also taking Al Pacino's yelling ability. Pre-2000, Pacino will be just fine because there's nothing better than random screaming and that raspy voice. I mean, in Heat, he's just ran. I guess he was improving halfway through Heat and like people didn't know what he was doing and he would scream at them and you can see people's reactions. So like, my God, Al Pacino screaming at me. This is alarming. See, even my dogs are freaked out about it. They, they want Al Pacino's voice in this too. So funny. It's like they haven't barked, I think, in 20, 25 podcasts and now, you know, they've done it twice in one. So... Congratulations, girls. You know how to pick your spots. Uh, crying ability. I'm going Demi Moore because I found this out the other day. She can actually can control what eye she cries out of. So she can go right eye, one tear, left eye, two tears. So she's like, am- she's an ambidextrous crier. And I always remember that single tear out of one eye at the end of Ghost. It's profound. It's that little flourish I need. And Plus, she does an excellent lip quiver, too. So Demi Moore, you know, early 90s Demi Moore. And I'm going Samuel L. Jackson's ability to say motherfucker. And I know it's oddly specific, but I want it. Like, he's mastered those two words. Or is it three words? No, no, it's two words. And it would just amuse me greatly, and I think the aliens would enjoy it. 
like just Samuel Jackson's voice comes up for that one line. It'd just be great. And I also want this actor to convey some like confidence, some pride. So I'm going Helen Mirren's kind of elegance. Like she looks like she's just been knighted by the queen at all times. And I want my actor to be brimming with kind of restrained confidence and kind of a gravitas to them. And Helen Mirren's got it. I wonder what she was like when she was younger. Cause I mean, I think we all know her as like, 45-year-old to 65, 70-year-old Helen Mirren? Like, what was young Helen Mirren like? I want to know. I'm going to look that up. And I'm going Julia Roberts' Pretty Woman Era Smile. Just all those teeth are just electrifying on screen. Just a dynamic set of chompers. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we can count, but I wonder how many of her teeth show versus most people. It's just a fantastic smile. I'm going to go Marilyn Monroe's Mole, just to add some iconic frosting to this cake. And top it off, let's go Martin Scorsese's Knowledge of Filmmaking and Directing. He's the best combination of high art mixed with mass entertainment I can think of. So let's get his film brain, his film-based brain guiding us through this challenge. You know, he'll know his spots, he'll know where to stand where the lighting is best, he'll know where to, you know, really amplify all these skills and traits we got. So there you have it, everyone. The combined skills and body parts of the world's greatest actor, who will undoubtedly save humanity when this very specific apocalypse scenario happens. And it will happen, trust me. You'll thank me. You'll thank me when I, you know, we have this scenario and like you can listen to this podcast and, you know, we can all create it together. Although they will need to ask me what I don't think they're going to ask me. Damn. I need to become important enough so that if this happens, they'll ask me. Or maybe because I made this podcast, like maybe someone will just do a Google search and they'll find that this is out there. So you're welcome, humanity. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening to Max Volume. Please like, review, and follow me on Spotify and iTunes. Later.